For this week and next week, we'll be doing, I'll be sharing a two-week mini-series with you on the life of Samson. Samson is a guy in the Old Testament. Uh, he was a very strong, physically strong man. By God's design, God gifted him with that strength, kind of a super strength, a powerful warrior for the nation of Israel. Uh, and I read that, and you may, you may be like me. Now, most of you are stronger than me. You can see this body, see these scrawny arms. Uh, this, this is not the description of physical strength when, when I look at me in the mirror. And so sometimes I think, mm, I have very little in common with Samson. But here's what we're going to find. Whether you're strong, or not as strong as Samson, but if you're strong, or if you're like me, you're kind of weak physically, uh, we're going to learn much from Samson this weekend and next weekend because we're going to look at his walk with God, and we're going to learn, quite honestly, a lot from a pretty poor example of walking with God. So let's, we'll be in Judges chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. Four chapters in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, the seventh book of the Old Testament. And we're, we're going to just skim through his life. We're going to survey his life and take a lot of life lessons from it. I would challenge you this week. I know many of you, Life Journal, just like I do, like all of our pastors do and our staff and, and don't happen to be in this passage right now, but take a, a little extra time this week and read those four chapters in the book of Judges just so you get that story cemented in your mind of Samson and what God did through his life in the nation of Israel. So let's get the background starting right off with uh, chapter 13, verse 1 of Judges. And the Bible says, the Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now, if you've, especially if you've been life journaling with us for the last few years, you know as you read through the Old Testament, that little phrase is repeated so many times. The Israels again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, or everyone did what was right in their own eyes, sometimes a scripture will say. And that always is is a recipe for disaster when they do what's right in their own eyes and ignore God and what God desires. Uh, and I find myself sometimes getting a bit judgmental as I read through those passages, but I, could not Israel learn something from all the crazy mistakes they made? And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, well, okay, Dwayne, let's start at January 1 in your life. And on January 1, Dwayne did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Fast forward, January 15. Dwayne was doing what was right in his own eyes. You see, if you took your life and I took my life and we just did a little survey, we just choose some random dates through the last year, two years, three years, I dare say every one of us, if, if someone wrote the story of our life with the, with the spiritual part of our lives included, <laughs> then we would all be just like the nation Israel. The Israelites, again, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord, not out of anger or not out of a mean spirit, not out of hatred, but out of deep love, the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. In other words, you're not listening, you're not listening. The Philistines were always there ready to pounce on the nation of Israel 
all God had to do was kind of just step back because the Philistines could overpower the Israelites when God's hand was not on them. So where that put Israel was they needed a deliverer. They needed someone who could lead them to overpower the Philistines and bring them out of the bondage they were in. They were not not in another country like when they were in Egypt centuries earlier, but they were still in bondage to the Philistines. And God had prepared a man. His name was Samson. I want to get to know him better. Before we read the scripture, I want to tell you right up front, the first point of the sermon is this. Samson was a child of promise. He had a destiny set by God before he was ever born. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 13 in Judges. It says this, There was a certain man from Zorah, from the family of Dan. Now, that's the tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel. So kind of get it locked in your mind. All the 12 tribes of Israel and for the Israelites it was significant which tribe you came from. And so it tells us he was from the tribe of Dan, one of the 12 sons that formed the nation Israel, whose name was Manoah. His father's name was Manoah. His wife was unable to conceive, had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, although you're unable to conceive and have no children, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, please be careful not to drink wine or beer or eat anything unclean, for indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. He was going to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, in a moment, we'll get a little more history on that, and you'll have a little better understanding of what that means. But that simply, that word, that Hebrew word comes from a, a word that means to set apart. That means that person was totally de dedicated to the Lord. We'll pick up some more on that in a minute. And so Samson was the one who was supposed to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Now, when we consider that from birth, he had a promise from God. God made a promise to his parents and to Samson. We, we can say, well, I don't know that that happened to me. Well, let's, let's forget our physical birth for a moment and let's draw a parallel. We, from the moment of our spiritual birth, when we repent of sin and ask Jesus Christ to come in and be our Lord and Savior, we are also children of promise. Listen to what the Bible tells us. Just skipping through a few different places. The Bible tells us when we're born again, we are heirs of the kingdom of God. That means we will inherit the kingdom of God. We're children of God. The Bible says we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In fact, in Ephesians, it tells us we've been saved by grace. We've been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places with him spiritually. It teaches us that we experience the riches of His grace as a free gift. And then in Ephesians 2.10 it says, we are His workmanship. He worked on your life and my life very specifically so that we could be created a new person in Christ in order to do His good 
works. We cannot do those good works, those spiritual works, apart from his creation inside of us. So I would say to you, we also, as believers in Jesus Christ, are children of promise and destiny, just like Samson was. It was for a different purpose then than what we are. We're not the saviors of Israel. We're not the deliverers of Israel. But we have just as significant a purpose in God's kingdom, just like Samson. Now, not only was he a child of promise, but the second thing out of these passages of Scripture I want us to see is that Samson had a specific call from God. You see, as a Nazarite, he wasn't just set apart in his daily habits. He didn't walk around just acting holy, chanting some phrase or something like that, or always sitting around thinking spiritual thoughts. He had a purpose. He was to be the deliverer for the nation of Israel. Let's pick up the story in verse 5 of Judges 13 and, and run just a little bit of it through this chapter. Verse 5, For indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. There's that idea of separation from the world and separation to God from his birth. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Verse 6, then the woman went and told her husband, a man of God came to me. He looked like the awe-inspiring angel of God. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. He said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Therefore, do not drink wine or beer. Do not eat anything unclean. Take care of this child. Take care of your body. Because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth, notice this, until the day of his death. Let's jump down to verse 24. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The boy grew, the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And it gives you a location in the camp of Dan between these two towns, Zorah and Eshtaol. Those are not so significant for us, but that where he lived, where he existed, where he worked each day... God began to stir him, the Scripture says. So let's, let's take a look at that word stir. The idea behind the Hebrew word that's translated stir is to beat regularly, as in a heartbeat. So therefore, it means to, from within, to beat, to pump, to impel or compel someone, something from within. The picture here is the Spirit of God within Samson, just as the Spirit of God within us, when we're born again, beats, pulsates, and compels us to follow the calling of God. That's what was going on with Samson when it says the Spirit of God began to stir him. Now, most every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ have had that, those times when we knew that we knew God was moving us, compelling us from within, like that heartbeat, continual, pulsating, to do His will. Now, let me challenge you at this point. His will will always agree with His Word. I can't tell you how many times, some of the times I've heard people say this, it was me saying it. Okay? I've, God, God is calling me to do this, or God wants me to do this. Or I believe God said, and we will say that, 
and not go check with his word. Because when we're having this feeling and it doesn't line up with God's word, which one are you going to throw away? If, if we are wise, we will throw away the feeling and we'll stick to God's word. Now, here's Samson's calling. It wasn't filled with self-will. It was, it was not in alignment with the philosophies of the world. It was not just to satisfy himself. It was not for material gain, and it was not just for influence or power. But it was agreeing with the heart of God that had been told his parents before he was ever born. It was agreeing with God's word because he loved the nation Israel. He had chosen the nation of Israel, and he had promised to deliver the nation of Israel. And so Samson's calling was fulfilling the will of God that was clearly God's will. That's our measurement as well. So be cautious when you say, well, God said it, or God called me to do it. We need to know that we know that we know and that it lines up with God's will. So let's look at his call. That Nazarite vow. There was an inward part of the vow. I told you it means to separate. That's the inward part. We're separating from the world to the Lord. And that's what God asked him to do in that Nazarite vow. There was an outward part of the vow that we can see in Numbers chapter 6. Let me just read through it quickly. It'll come on the screens. You follow. So originally this was given to Moses for all the children of Israel. And the Nazarite vow you'll see was for a time period. The, is, the Lord instructed Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, a Nazarite vow, to consecrate himself to the Lord, he is to abstain from wine and beer. He must not drink vinegar made from wine or beer. He must not drink any grape juice or eat fresh grapes or raisins. Something against grapes. I'm not sure what caused that. But anyway, he's not to eat anything produced by the grapevine from seeds to skin during the period of his consecration. See, it was for a period of time for most people. Verse 5, you must not cut his hair throughout the time of his vow of consecration. The hair would just grow and grow and grow, never trimmed and never cut. He may be holy until the time is completing during which he consecrates himself to the Lord. He's to let the hair of his head grow long. He must not go near a dead body during the time... He consecrates himself to the Lord. You were thought to be defiled, unclean, if you went near or touched a dead body. He is not to defile himself for his father or mother, and a brother or sister, when they die. In other words, during that time of consecration, if any of his family died, they were not to go to the funeral, not to go near that body. While the mark of consecration to his God is on his head, he's holy to the Lord during the time of consecration. We go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 21, and we see the Apostle Paul taking a Nazarite vow for a time, a period of days, weeks. And then when it's completed, it's, it's behind him. So it's kind of like uh, people observe Lent, or they observe some time of consecration, or time that set aside days or weeks to fast and pray about something. It's, it's that kind of a time of consecration. But, but look for Samson. Verse 7 says... From his birth until the day of his death. Samson's whole life was to be lived this way where most people who took this vow, it was for a short period of time. This was a big deal to God. He sent the angel of the Lord. Most people, most scholars think that's the Lord Jesus Christ before he came to earth. To the parents to, to tell them this. 
He made a big show, a big deal out of it because he was going to use this child to deliver Israel. He called Samson from before his birth. Now, let's be really clear. Even with God's promise and God's special calling, Samson still had the God-given freedom to choose obedience or disobedience. Third point, sadly, Samson chose to compromise. He chose disobedience. In fact, he chose poorly over and over and over. He struggled with making good life choices. His, his life really is a story of moral failure and failure in wise choices. But we'll see next week, later in his life, in the end of his life, there was a return to God and victory by the grace of God. But let's continue with this part of the story now and look and, and follow how Samson compromised, okay? And let's jump to Judges chapter 14, and it tells us this in verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. Let's push pause. Timnah was where the Philistines lived. It wasn't that far in distance, so it wasn't like it was a wrong journey. It was just too far or anything like that. It was a wrong place morally and spiritually. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. What's he doing? Timnah's where the Philistines live, the enemies of the people of God. They're evil. They're pagan. They worship pagan gods. Nothing good can happen for an Israelite in Timnah. So in our lives, when we go down to Timnah and we think what happens in Timnah stays in Timnah, it doesn't. When we go down to Timnah, we should know we're going to face temptation. Samson should have known the very same thing. Look at the end of that verse, that sentence. And it says, and he saw a young Philistine woman there. Saw doesn't mean he, he just kind of went, oh, yeah. No, he saw the young woman. He knew he wasn't supposed to be there. And by the way, as one who had a Nazarite vow in his life for all of his life, he knew he wasn't even supposed to be looking, searching for that experience because that was against God's will. He was a Nazarite. Now, so we don't think, well, that's Old Testament, that's Nazarite stuff, I don't know much about that, that's really not for me. Let's look at how the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul in, in uh, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 to teach us some things about that very same principle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, the Scripture says this. Do not be yoked together. Now, this is an old terminology. If you've ever seen a picture of a yoke where two oxen are put together in one yoke and they're working together, that's the idea. You are connected with this person. Okay? Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. This is speaking of close personal relationships. This is speaking of... of uh, close, close friendships, not casual friendships, close, close friendships or dating relationships or marriage relationships that when we're going into those relationships, we are to choose in advance that we don't get yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Now, let me let clarify this. What relationship is there between those who are born again and those who have chosen to not receive Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? The, the light of God, the darkness of the enemy, Satan. Now let me be clear here. God's not being mean. He's not being hateful toward us. He has our best interest in mind. And he wants our relationships to be blessed. So when Samson went down to Timnah, he was going away from where God wanted him to go. Let's, let's pick up the story, chapter 14, verse 2. We'll just keep running his story here. He went back and told his father and his mother, I've seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. Now their customs were different. The parents made that negotiation. But he's giving them an order. His father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among our relatives, among our own people? Must you go to the uncircumcised, the godless Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. He's not asking his parents. Here's what he's saying. The title of the sermon was, I want what I want. That's what Samson is saying to his parents. Hey, forget all that Israelite Philistine stuff. I want what I want. Children, youth, adults, rebellion against the authority God places in our lives is always going down to Timnah for every one of us. I say adults because often we think, well, that's for the kids. You know, they should respond to their parents or their grandparents or their teachers or whoever. But listen, this principle is true for every person in this room, every person in the world. So his parents pleaded with him, but Samson told him what to do. They practiced tough love. They released him what he, to do what he wanted to do. And verse 5, so they're going back to get this woman that he, he believes he loves. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring at him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Whoa, secrets. He didn't want them to know that he had touched something dead because of his Nazarite vow. He hid it from them. And let's, let's go ahead. Uh, but let's, in verse 7. Then he went and spoke to the woman because she seemed right to Samson. After some time, when he returned to marry her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass. What was he doing going to be near a dead thing? The vow that was on him for all of his life said he would not go near nor touch something dead. And there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. He scoops some of the honey in his hands. Doesn't that sound appetizing? A dead carcass. Oh, there's some bees and honey. Yes, that's the place I want to get my honey from. And, and he ate it as he went along. Then when he came to his father and mother, he gave them some, to, and, to, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the carcass. Why? Because he knew that they knew that was off limits. Secrets. Listen, our secrets say so much about our relationship with God. Let's continue. So, for Samson, the secrets were, or, or the step-by-step the -step kinds of things of compromise were, it's just a foolish thing, girl. Besides, I like her. Why would that be bad? It's just one dead carcass. It's just one taste of honey. For you and me, it might be, it's just one website. It's just living together. After all, we plan to get married. Uh, it's really no big deal. I know what I'm doing. I can stop anytime I want. 
It's, it's just a physical relationship, and it feels good. I want what I want. That's where we come to. And we think what happens in Timnah, like I said earlier, stays in Timnah, and it won't come back to hurt us, but it will every time. Let's go on with the story. Finally, we're going to see Samson's choices catch up with him, okay? Finally, number four, Samson was defeated, and then he was put in bondage. It happened over time, but all of a sudden, it was on him. Let's pick up the story. Verse 1, Samson went down, went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute went to bed with her. Now, you have to understand uh, that obviously that's a bad choice. But in the whole of the story that you'll read this week, uh, he never got to consummate his marriage with, with the young woman because he got in a fight with the Philistines. And before it was over, the Philistines ended up taking that girl and her father and burning them to death to get rid of the scourge among them because they had been connected with Samson, who was their enemy. So anyway, now he's going to Gaza, and he's in bed with a prostitute. He's a Nazarite set apart for God, but he's making these kind of choices, and he's about to be defeated and get in bondage. He's failed miserably. And so here's, uh, uh, they, they come to the place where he's staying, and they're going to surround it and wait for him to come out because he'd killed a bunch of them over time, and they were afraid of him. Well, Samson just waited until after midnight, and he leaves. They've got him locked in, so he just rips the gate and the posts out of the ground and carries it away with him just to show them his defiance. And so he's still powerful. He still has the power of God on him, even though he's being so disobedient. Here's the principle for us. We can continue to have the power of God when he's called us, even when we're headed toward defeat, bondage, disobedience. Let's, chapter 16, we're jumping all the way toward the later in the story. Verse 4 says this. So sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. That's not the prostitute he was with, so this is another woman who lived in Sorek Valley. Another Philistine, by the way. She was a temple prostitute. They meet and they fall in lust with each other. And Samson has developed this power, uh, terrible habit of sleeping with the enemy, literally. By day, he's fighting the Lord's battles. And by night, he's guided by his lust. See, he's allowing the lust, the sexual draw, to destroy his life gradually. But, and I'm not preaching this sermon to just preach against uh, wrong sex, uh, but there are other things we can make on our choices on our way down to Timnah that can destroy us equally. Verse 5, Judges 16. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell where his great strength from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me, where does your great strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? This guy had to be the dullest tool in the shed. I'm telling you. Well, so he lies to his lover, Delilah, three different times. Well, if you do this, then, you know, I can't break the bonds. Because they'd tried to tie him up before. And so they would do that, and he would break them. Then he would tell her another lie, and she would do that, and he would break those. Well, finally... She whines to him and says, I don't think you trust me, Sammy. And he gives in. 
I'm telling you, this guy was dumber than a box of rocks. And he said, if you shave my hair off my head, I'll be just like any other person. I won't have this super strength. That was the truth. So let's follow the story. Verse 19, then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids, shave off his dreadlocks. In this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, can you imagine having your whole head shaved and not waking up? I, I can't get over that one. But anyway, she made him helpless. His strength left him. She cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he woke from his sleep, he said, I'll do the same thing I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. So the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to grind grain in prison like a common animal. But his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. Keep that sentence in your mind for a moment. He's defeated. He's in bondage. This is not where Samson planned to end up. He thought he'd always be able to overpower the Philistines. But now he's in bondage. His eyes are gouged out. He's working like a common animal, like an ox or a donkey. He hadn't seen that coming. Step by step by step, he just blindly kept following his own desires. Here's the principle for us that I want to leave us with. It's not unique with me. I've heard dozens of pastors, preachers use this over the years. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you far more than you ever wanted to pay. Now, let's leave Samson for a moment. We're going to come back just for a few seconds at the end. But let's apply what we've learned so far about Samson and then now about us. First of all, as children of God, as, as Christians, we are children of promise. We absolutely are. And we have a specific calling from God. He has a desire for each one of us to accomplish His will very specifically. We can choose obedience or disobedience. We can compromise. And so today, some of us, some of us in this room, some of you may find yourselves in a place, I've been just saying to God, I want what I want. God, go get it for me. Might even be a place, in a place where you've become defeated. You might be in a place where you're in bondage to something or someone. And here's the good news, the great news. You don't have to stay there. Not for one minute more. Let's look at that last verse I read a while ago. Verse 22. This is the hope that we'll pick up next week. Verse 22 says about Samson, but his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. This was God reassuring Samson. I have not forsaken you. Even though you've been disobedient, I'm still with you. I still live in you. I still love you. I will not abandon you. And I believe 
God is saying the very same thing to every one of us today. I've not abandoned you. I love you. I care for you deeply. I'm still going to fulfill the promise and calling on your life if you'll come back to a place of obedience. He's ready to bring you back to that place where he can work in you and through you. Would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes.